Well, we have just sung part of Psalm 5, so let's take a moment to read it. I hope you'll take your Bibles, or if you didn't bring one, grab a pew Bible, use your mobile device, and we'll look in Psalm 5. Psalm 5 is a lament, a personal lament. It is a cry to God, a prayer to God. And you will note that part of the reason that the psalmist is offering this cry or this plea, this prayer to God, is because of a series of evil, a series of wickedness that he is observing and or uh, has been a part of, has seen in his life. And he's asking God for his deliverance and his help. So follow along with me as I read Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait or watch in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. And with you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate, <clears throat> excuse me, all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue they speak deceit. Declare, declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. May God add his blessings to the reading, to the hearing, and to the doing of his holy word. Well, you may recall that last Sunday morning as we were worshiping, or if you were in some other location, you'll recall that we began to learn some of the initial details of the mass shooting that occurred in the Orlando, Florida nightclub that took 49 lives, wounded 50 other people, many of them still critically ill. Apparently a shooter with a, an assault rifle did most of the damage within the first few minutes of the carnage in an incident that eventually lasted three hours and ended with the shooter's death. From what we have learned in the last week, apparently it was a self-radicalized action that was inspired by ISIS propaganda 
that led an American-born man with Afghan heritage to commit this act of violence and evil. You might be interested to know that since September of 2014, just under two years, there have been almost 90 acts of terrorism around the world that have been committed by ISIS sympathizers. Of those 90 acts of violence around our world of terrorism, five of them have occurred right here in the United States by our own citizens. If you add in the mass shootings that have occurred over the last number of years that have occurred in churches, movie theaters, at marathons, at shopping centers, in schools, on military bases, and even in a store parking lot in our own city in the last few years, it really leaves you, doesn't it? with a deep sense, a profound sense of the sin, of the evil, of the wickedness that pervades our world. But you know the psalmist in Psalm 5 puts his finger on an unrecognized evil and wickedness that occurs in our own lives that we often and frequently ignore. Verse 5, or rather verse 4 states in this text, you are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. Evil. Wickedness. Where does your mind go? Well, undoubtedly, it may well go to people who perpetrate those evil acts of terrorism, such as suicide bombers or shooters who kill innocent people. Maybe your mind goes to those foreign dictators, like ones in the Bible, like King Ahab and Jezebel that we just read about in the First Kings chapter 21 text who unmercifully commit atrocities against their people. In this particular text, it was Ahab and Jezebel who wanted a vineyard that was owned by Naboth. And so Jezebel devises a, pl devises a plot where false charges are trumped up against Naboth. And eventually he is stoned to death and King Ahab is able to have his vineyard that he covets, that he desires for his very own. So maybe your mind goes to foreign dictators who commit these terrible atrocities towards their people. We know of these foreign dictators that create forced labor situations or imprisonment or they allow just the bare minimum of food or medical care or clothing or housing for their people. Is that where your mind goes? When you think about evil and wickedness and sin in the world? Maybe your mind goes towards people who take advantage of other people economically and financially. Those employers who cheat their employees of their well-earned wages. Or maybe you think about those individuals, those landlords who take advantage of tenants. Maybe you think about people who are entrusted with your own financial savings, your investments, your retirements, and then suddenly you discover that there's been some Ponzi scheme and really the money that you had saved for retirement is not there any longer. 
Is that the evil or the wickedness that you think about? Maybe you think about the person who wears a law enforcement badge on his or her chest. And then they commit some crime against a law-abiding citizen themselves, and the trust has been broken. Is that what you think about when you think about the evil and the wickedness in the world? But it's kind of interesting. Psalm 5, verse 5, names four expressions of evil and wickedness in the world that my guess is we often ignore and we often minimize. Did you catch the four expressions of evil and wickedness? The first one is those who are arrogant. You know anybody who's arrogant? Do you equate that with evil and wickedness? The psalmist does. The second category is all who do wrong. Now that's a pretty broad umbrella, isn't it? All who do wrong. The third category this one's going to surprise you. Those who tell lies. Those who stretch the truth. Those who manipulate that which is true and that which is false. Those who tell lies. And the last category that the psalmist names is bloodthirsty and deceitful men. I guess we could include women to make it fair. You know anybody who's deceitful? Do you know anybody who tells lies? Do you know anyone who does wrong? Do you know anyone who is arrogant? Do you fit one of those four categories in some shape, form, or fashion? Now, I'm not a betting man. But I do have some money in my wallet this morning. And my bet is that if you are at times arrogant or if at times you do something wrong, or if there are times in your life when you have told a lie, or if there's a moment in your life when you have been less than honest and deceitful, my guess is you don't put yourself in the category of being evil and wicked. But the psalmist does. In fact, if you move on to verse 9, the psalmist is talking about the evil and wickedness that he's experiencing. He says, you can't trust a word that these evil and wicked people say. He says, their hearts are filled with destruction. Their throats are like open graves. And their tongues are deceitful. Now that's a pretty harsh analysis, isn't it? Of the evil and wickedness in our world. You know, the New Testament has a lot of what we call vice list, V-I-C-E. A lot of vice list, a lot of sin list, a lot of lists that describe evil and wicked behavior. One of those vice lists is found in Romans chapter 1 verses 29 through 31. In this particular text, Paul expands the definition of evil and wickedness well beyond the scope of Psalm 5. In fact, in the previous verses, Paul talks about homosexuality. Now, you know, we just finished a study here at our church on the Bible, marriage, and sexuality. We looked at a lot of topics. 
We talked about premarital sex. We talked about cohabitation. We talked about what a good marriage is. We talked about adultery. We talked about divorce. We talked about human trafficking and prostitution and pornography. And we talked about homosexuality. Now, in this particular text, in the preceding verses, Paul sees homosexuality as a reflection of our broken and our sinful world that has forgotten who the true Creator God is. Paul sees that behavior as symptomatic of a creation that has gone askew and gone astray and has forgotten who the true Creator God is. And many times we stop with that particular couple of verses in Romans and we don't keep reading into verses 29 and 31 where Paul continues to talk about some of those vices, some of those sins that is reflective of a broken and sinful creation. I want to put verses 29 through 31 on the screen for you to see because I think you're going to be surprised at some of the places that Paul names as being evil and wicked. Let's look at the text for a minute. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil. Look at the next one. Greed. You know anybody who's greedy? You know somebody who just wants a little bit more materialistically speaking? Do you regard that person as being evil and wicked? Paul includes it in the list. They're filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depra depravity. They are full of envy. You know anybody who wants something that someone else has? Have you ever wanted something that someone else has? That's called envy. They're filled with, full of envy, murder. Now, now that makes some sense, doesn't it? We, we, we could see how that would be evil, wicked. Strife. You know what strife is? It's stirring things up and being in contention with each other, maybe at times unnecessarily. Deceit. Now the psalmist has already named deceit. That was a part of the vice list for the psalmist. And malice. Uh-oh, we have now stopped preaching and started meddling. Paul... They are gossips. Now, you know, a lot of us pass on prayer requests disguised as gossip. Do you know in the last week, in this congregation, I have heard three instances of gossip where people are passing on things to me that I ought to... Have you heard so-and-so gossip. Gossip. You know, I looked up a definition of gossip. You know what one of the definitions was? Blabbermouth. You know any blabbermouths? Things, people who tell things that may be confidential, people who tell things that are none of their business, people who stick their nose in places where it doesn't belong. Blabbermouths, gossips, according to Paul, are evil, wicked. When's the last time you looked at a gossiper and thought, yeah, that's an evil person? You done that lately? 
Let's keep moving. Slanderers. You know what a slanderer is? There's a difference between slander and libel. Slander, slander is oral or verbal defamation of character, and libel is written defamation of character. You know of anyone who has defamed someone else's character recently? If you don't, then you haven't been turning on the TV and watching the presidential primaries for the last six months. Because that's all that's been is tearing down one person's character and then the other person responds uh, with two or, two or three or four more volleys of tearing down his or her character. You haven't thought about slander, have you? As being evil and wicked. And then God-haters. God-haters. Then we've got people who are insolent. Arrogant. There's that word, arrogant. And boastful. You know anybody who's boastful? Who kind of likes to talk about himself or herself and his or her accomplishments? Do you equate that with being evil and wicked? Paul does. Let's keep going. They invent ways of doing evil. Uh-oh. They disobey their parents. Lord knows every one of us fit that category. And every one of us have had children if we're parents who fit that category. Disobey their parents. Disobedience, Paul says, is evil. It's wicked. When's the last time you looked at your child and you said, you little wicked devil? You evil rascal? Mary Vick, you evil little girl? Now you're a Kavanaugh. You've grown up. I bet your mom and dad, they didn't call you evil. I didn't call my children evil, wicked. But Paul says the children who are disobedient are evil. It's part of the wickedness. It's part of the sin vice. How about that? They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. How about that? The evil the wickedness that is unrecognized in your life and in my life that we like to minimize and we don't like to pay a lot of attention to it. Isn't it interesting how it's very easy for us to see the sin in others and we miss it in our own life? Now, what are we going to do about that? Thank you for putting that on the screen. What are we going to do about this? Well, the psalmist has some answers about this sin, this evil, this wickedness in our world, and most importantly, the sin and the evil and the wickedness in our own lives that goes unrecognized. What's the first answer? Well, the first answer is don't forget God's grace and mercy. In verse 7, the psalmist writes, But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down towards your holy temple. You know what, friends? Sin and evil and wickedness is the great human leveler. Every one of us in this room and in this world has to approach God on the same equal footing. I can't find any hierarchy of sin 
and evil and brokenness in our fallen world. There are greater consequences to some of that sin and some of that evil and some of that wickedness. But the fact is, it's all sin, it's all evil, and it's all wickedness. And one of the things that we need to remember is that we come to God and we approach him based on undeserved mercy and undeserved grace. And the psalmist recognizes that by your great mercy, I come to your house, O God. Number two, not only are we invited to surround ourselves with God's grace and mercy, but we are invited to pray and to watch. The psalmist says in verse 3, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. I lay my request before you and I wait or I watch in expectation. And then in verse 8, the one that we sang, uh, that the choir led us to sing for our introit this morning, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make straight your way before me. Folks, we have forgotten in the face of the evil and the sin and the wickedness in this world that one of the most powerful forces to combat it is not a military force or a political force, but the prayer force of God's people. We've forgotten that prayer is the most powerful force in the world. And so we pray. And like the psalmist says, we wait, we watch. And we ask God to lead us in his righteousness. We ask God to make his way straight. We ask God to protect us from evil. There is a reason in the Lord's Prayer why Jesus said to pray the following, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There was a reason that Jesus inserted that because he knew that prayer is a powerful force against the sin and the wickedness and the evil in our world. That's part of God's intention for us, folks. We combat the personal evil and the corporate institutional evil by joining hands and being God's people and praying. And there's one last thing that the psalmist says here in this text this morning. Beyond God's grace and mercy, beyond praying and watching, there's one thing that we do. We always let God be the judge. Verse 10, Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. Now, let me tell you something. There, there, there is a natural human response. You understand it, and I do too. When somebody does something to hurt me or harm me or those I love, I want to get back at them, don't you? It's called revenge. I want to set the score right. I want to level the playing field. You do something to harm me or those who I love, I'm going to come back at you. But the psalmist wisely understands that in the final analysis, God doesn't need you and me to be judge or jury. And we forget that in biblical thinking, God's justice or God being judge means that he is going to set things right. That's what judgment is biblically. It means God is going to set things right. He had it right originally at the moment of creation, and it was good. It was right. And we came in because of our sin, because of our deliberateness of rebellion against God. We came in and messed it up. 
And one day when Jesus comes back again, God is going to set things right. Those things that have gone astray, those things that have gone askew. You know, there's a lot of suffering in our world. There is a lot of pain, and most of it is due to human sin and evil and brokenness, and a lot of that we can't change, can we? And we can't control. But rather than seeking revenge, we leave the judgment to God. We leave the making of things right in our world, not in our hands, but in God's capable hands. You know, I've told you this story before, but it fits this morning. It's the story of a woman who left a worship service like ours at the close of the benediction, came by the door, wanted to make sure she spoke to her pastor. She grabbed the pastor's hand. She said, oh, pastor, that was a wonderful sermon this morning. You really stepped on our toes. And the pastor looked downcast for a moment and then he said to the woman oh I'm sorry that I missed I was aiming for your heart and you see the reality is that the biblical writers always aim for our hearts the bi biblical writers understand that we are stubborn, stuck in the mud, made up our minds kind of people. So when you try to deal with someone rationally and logically, it doesn't usually work in helping them or helping us see the unrecognized evil in our lives. What usually has to happen is that something has to hit our hearts, not our minds. So this morning, I want to invite you to join me in a moment of prayer, in a moment of confession, in a time, and this is just between you and God, where you lay your soul bare before Him and you invite the Holy Spirit to show you those spots and those places and those wrinkles in the fabric of your life where there is that unrecognized evil and wickedness and sin. I want to invite you to name those places that the Holy Spirit brings before you now. Maybe God's Word, the Scripture, has enlightened your heart. It has hit your heart. And you are now saying, that's a place where I need to change. I need to repent. I need to ask God's grace and forgiveness to cover my life. So I want you to take a moment of silence to confess that sin before God. Let's pray together in silence. God, first of all, this morning, we pray for the people of Orlando, Florida, and this unspeakable tragedy that has occurred in their city, for those individuals and those families that have been affected 
by this act of violence and evil. Lord, we pray your grace, your strength, your comfort would be upon their lives. And in other places in our country and around the world, those 90 locations, God, since September of 2014, when some act of terrorism and evil and wickedness has occurred, God, we pray for healing for those people as well. And we pray, God, for healing this morning from those places of evil and wickedness that resides and exists and is alive and well deep within each of us. We ask you, God, to open our eyes to help us to recognize those places where we contribute to the evil and the sin, the wickedness that exists in our world, in institutions, in government, in businesses, in educational institutions, even, Lord, in places like church. 